Welcome to the Recruiting.Technology Podcast, the best in HR automation, productivity, data, and more anywhere on these fine interwebs. Here are our hosts, Jason Roberts and Andrew Godomsky. Hi, this is Andrew Godomsky, and that is Jason Roberts. And this is Recruiting.Technology, the best in bots, automation, all things algorithmic, anywhere on the internet and Facebook. Every once in a while. Every once in a while. Yeah, more frequently than uh, than it used to be though. Like we're we're getting a little bit of a rhythm here going, man. We got a little bit of a, we got a little bit of a rhythm. It me- means we're doing things deliberately. Uh, yes, we're doing it without a bot. You know, we're we're actually communicating when we're going to do these things without you know botless. Maybe we should do it with a bot. We could have a bot do the recording for us, so we don't have to say anything. We just you know maybe like give it some bullets. Hey, cover this stuff, right? <laughs> I tried using a bot today with Adobe. I was on their site and I was doing some stuff for a presentation and I had a question about a vector image and that I was playing around with. And, and the bot gave me immediately the, yeah, I'm not that smart yet. (laughs) Let me get you an agent. Do you not have Fiverr? You know, you can take any image that you want vectored and you hand it to somebody on Fiverr for five bucks and they send you back the vector of that thing? It, 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 it took me 10 minutes to solve the problem with, with uh, online. And so I got it done very quickly. And All it right. was free. I was trying to encourage the gig economy, but... No, way. no, it's fine. You know, by the way, you know, th- there's no such... You know, very few things get done on Fiverr for $5. Well, that's true. That, that, that's the starting point. That's where you start. That's where you start. That's where you. That's where you get get the the first conversation, and then by the time you're done, it's it's a little more. That's right. Well, well, happy New Year to our listeners. And and speaking of New Year, new things, uh, Mr. Roberts, you've got some uh, some news for us, don't you? I do. I have two things for us. So um, the first one is that uh, I've changed jobs. So Ooh. for the longest time, I was at uh, Ronstead Sourcerite and. I ran technology and analytics for them for a good long while. And uh, I still love doing all those things. But uh, I started looking for a new role uh, in the fall, sort of late fall time frame, and uh, ultimately selected uh, Accenture. And I've, I've worked at Accenture in the past. I really love the organization, a bunch of smart people. And, uh, man, they're super interested in talent acquisition right now. They're, they have a big focus there. So um, I went there and I'll, uh, I'll still have technology as part of my remit, but I also get all of the other bits of the process. So the, how we do work just in general and uh, process technology, all of those things. And uh, my role there is that uh, I'm the uh, global leader for the talent acquisition capability. So that's, that's fantastic. That's, and, you know, yeah. Jason, I, I think that people might be a little confused about, you know, the breadth of, uh, of Accenture in regards to its talent capability only because, you know, you're, you're not, we're not just talking about the work that Accenture does in talent acquisition for itself. You're also talking about what it does in terms of in some of its clients, correct? Yeah. And in fact, I'll spend most of my time, um, in, uh, in work we do for other clients. So totally, uh, total around the globe, I think we're going to do in the, oh, I'm not sure, probably 
probably half a half a million hires, something like that. Like uh, yeah, half a million hires. Yeah. Something yeah. like that is where we're, we're going. So it's uh, it's it's not a small organization. It's it's a big it's a big group, but uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Super smart people, um, and uh, really ready to make an investment in, in this space as a place where they see a lot of growth. Um, and uh, while I was there's there's one other announcement that's tied to this, and it has to do with uh, a nonprofit that that um, I sort of took point on getting started, but some of my friends and other parts of, of outsourcing have, and specifically uh, RPO recruitment process outsourcing have joined in to, to be a part of this fun. Um, and uh, there was this gap that I saw in, in our industry where I didn't feel like there was really solid non-biased uh, research being done. Uh, there's, there's a perception at least in the in the marketplace right now, that uh, much of the much of the research that we see and, and sort of the rankings and lists that we see don't necessarily have a lot of scientific foundation, or um, you're having to pay people a great deal in order to get onto that list. And I, I'm not sure that that makes a lot of sense. So, a good way to solve that problem is really straightforward. You set up a nonprofit foundation that is responsible for publishing results. But then you um, you have unbiased third parties do the research, and we stood up a thing called the HR Executive Congress, and its purpose is simply to uh, to drive forward uh, the growth of uh, HR and its influence on uh, on the business that it serves, and specifically the starting point there is through RPOs and seeing where the best of those are. So. You'll see um, an RPO top 10 list come out uh, in May. Um, lots of the, the major RPOs are participating in that. You'll see that come out in May. We have a partnership with Unleash that uh, you'll see a formal announcement uh, coming out from Unleash shortly. Unleash being the, the conference organization, they, they, they uh, have a conference in Las Vegas, London, and then uh, also Paris. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be great. So we're, you know, this, this will be the first year. Um, and, uh, it should be, it should be an interesting ride here to see how, to see how that goes. I'm, I'm super excited to see that move forward and man, I'm absolutely curious to see what the research shows because I I think we get in this spot where we breathe a lot of our own exhaust. A lot of the research that you see out there is self-reported, um, meaning, uh, there, there will be a research firm that comes out and says, oh, well, here's everything we know about the industry. Well, the way that they got the information about the industry is they had each member of that industry, each person that's participating in this, fill out this giant informational spreadsheet. So they've said, oh, well, here's how many customers we have, and here's how many um, hires we've made, and all those things. Well, there's somebody in the marketing team that fills this out in every every one of these places. So if you're looking for like true deep research, you don't necessarily go to the marketing guy for that. You usually go to a, a data science or analytics side for that. But no, the, the people in charge of those interactions are, are from marketing. And um, I don't know if, if we've seen anything. So what you see is you'll hear these trends coming out of, out of the research saying, oh, well, you know, the industry is moving to 
um, to all wearing purple socks. And the reason they're moving to purple socks is because purple is the most attractive color for candidates. And sure enough, people start wearing purple socks because they hear that's where the industry is going. Well, no, we just all wrote that on a little form that they gave us and said, we're going to be wearing purple socks next year. And here's why we think purple socks are awesome. So we start to breathe our own exhaust because then we get these reports and we're like, man, the industry is doing this. Well, yeah, of course, man. That's, that's what we wrote on the, on the little spreadsheet. Yeah. So it's, it's, a weird, it's a weird cyclical thing that happens. So I'm super curious to see what, what um, independent research comes out with. I, I think I'm it's a different, it. in, you know, on this topic, I, I think that a, an analyst perspective or an analyst report about a technology that maybe captures, you know, here are the features, here's what it's capable of, here's where data is stored, here are who your clients are, here are the inherent benefits, right? I think that's a different it's a different type of analysis um, than a service offering. So yeah, that's probably true. You know, so when, when you're doing the analysis about a service, you know, you've got to be able to say, well, what does customer support look like? What does executive engagement look like? Um, what kind of business outcomes have you improved and how do you prove that? And so I, I think this is great, Jason, because I think it's going to offer the ability to probably ask questions that just have not been asked. And I think if it's, if it's grounded in, in data analytics and in science, if you don't have numbers, go home, right? That's right. It should, uh, it should be fun. But, uh, but yeah, those are, those are the big announcements for this week. Um, it's it's a little bit of a, a, a new year, new uh, new everything for me. I, I started my role, um, started my role at Accenture formally. Gosh, right about Thanksgiving, I've I've held off on doing some announcements. They they kindly let me wrap up some other things that I had sort of afloat uh, out there in the market. And um, now that the new year is here, it's uh, it's time to time to start telling everybody what's going on. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations on both, and uh, I'm sure we'll hear more about about the many the, 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 the all the things you know related to uh, RPO, and then also obviously half a million hires a year. Um, I've got my own cool stuff happening this year, which we'll talk about on another another edition. Uh, but it's going to be I think it's going to be an exciting 2020 for sure. Man, it's uh, it's certainly a busy one. It started with a bang. I have to tell you, it's it's been. I haven't I haven't been home yet a week. Like I've I've been on the road every week. It's just the the world is busy these days. The world is busy. Well, let's talk about so so one of the things that 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 popped up last summer, and uh, was a an odd series of HR policies that had come to light in uh, a lawsuit and then criminal charges. Um, and over the holiday, that advanced quite a bit. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about what's going on with Orange? Yeah, so Orange, if, you, uh, if you're not familiar, is a French telecom company. Um, they, uh, 
This is crazy. I can't believe more people in HR aren't losing their minds. I, I, I can't believe this hasn't hit like the boards on Facebook or LinkedIn groups. Like it's not in my thread outside of you and I talking about it. I haven't heard anybody talk about this. It's so weird. So here's the thing. If you make a bad HR policy, you can go to jail now. Um, and not only that, if you make a, a, uh, a policy that, um, well, it's, it doesn't, it's not illegal. It's not a straight out illegal. It's like if you purposely decide to discriminate, okay, sure, there are, there are fines there that you can have. Um, and we all know that's not okay. But uh, Orange, with the, with the executives there, and there were, um, there were the CEO, the head of HR, and a couple of other C-level individuals um, were convicted in a court and sentenced to jail time. Now, it's not a ton of jail time. I think the CEO got uh, four weeks, and um, the stories that I've been reading haven't been really clear on how much time the, the head of HR and the others received. Um, and uh, I think the CEO had a $19,000 fine or the equivalent of a $19,000 fine that they had to pay. But basically the, what they did is they had a series of policies that resulted in the, the French courts saying that it was instru- institutional moral harassment, meaning uh, people felt uh, the, the prosecutors said that the, uh, there was a corporate strategy to create an anxiety-inducing environment that destabilized employees and undermined their dignity. I mean, so I think I think we need to set some context around this, right? So we've got we've got this telecommunications company that employs about one hundred and fifty thousand people, right? So this is not a small business, nope. right? And what 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 happens? And and for those for, for the for the for our listeners who don't do a lot of recruiting or or hiring in Europe. In certain countries in Europe, France being one of them, it can be ve- it is very difficult that once someone is working for you, and especially if they have a contract to work with you, having it, it's not an at will working adv- environment, right? Where the company can just show up and fire you or lay you off. It's really difficult to do that, actually, right? That's right. Well, and but, one of the things though. I, one of the things that is tied to this is there was uh, there were a series of suicides at Orange, right. and that's really what they're being held accountable for, right? So right. they're being held accountable for this series of suicides that were that were tied to their policies. So yeah, so what Crazy. what happened was you got one hundred and fifty thousand people working in the business, and the and, and the executive and and a series of people with influence. CEO uh, apparently included, decide to try to figure out how to get rid of about 15% of the workforce, right? And what they did as part of a restructure is exhibit a series of engagement policies that would intimidate or produce anxiety for the workers such that they would raise their hand and quit, because you just can't fire them, right? And you just can't lay them off. So this pro- these series of processes and procedures become institutionalized. And I mean, was it 35 people committed suicide? 
Yeah, it was, uh, let's see, 19 committed suicide between 2007 and 2010. Uh, by the way, I'm, I'm citing uh, CNN here. And another 12 attempted suicide during that time. Okay. So uh, Unbelievable. That is nuts. Absolutely, absolutely crazy. Lots of, lots of bad behavior going on there. Oh, just, just ridiculous. But I think, but I think what's interesting and let's, let's bring, let's bring this back to process and procedure for a second. It's actually in in the world of algorithms, data and, and centralized information processing. If you wanted to mechanize using information technology to drive anxiety or certain behaviors it's not like you couldn't hardwire it. You could do those things and you can make it where if, if people don't hand in things a certain way or on time, they're getting text messages and four people call them and all that stuff. You could create a really toxic environment that would get people to kind of raise their hand and say, I'm out of here. I hate this. Well, so on the other side, I've, I think that this could be like, you know, it was a high stress time. There was a government bailout of that industry at the time. Yeah. And I, I look at this and I think, cause remember this is 2007 to 2010, right? So this is, this is, you know, pretty significantly difficult time for all business. Right. And yeah, we're going back me, 13 years, right? Right. Part of me is looking at this and saying, man, the whole world was stressed. I'm not sure. And, you know, they were, they were going through and they were actually making cuts while they're getting government funding because a government bailout. Um, and they had to cut 15% of the workforce. So I totally get it, man. I, 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 the whole place would be stressed out. People know that their, their job is on the line. Um, they don't know what's going to, to determine whether they get to stay or they have to go. Um, it's a, it's a stressful time all around and I'm sure the, the CEO, I'm not exactly sure what he did um, and, or what the, the HR team did to make it feel that toxic, but I can see it feeling super stressful. Like you, I've, I've been in the corporate world for a long time, right? I've, I've lived my way through plenty of restructurings. It will freak you out, right? It's, it will absolutely mess with your hand, with your head and um, you never know if you have a paycheck coming in the next so many weeks, right? So yeah. I can see people being stressed and, and I even, for it's a very large organization. So there's 19 out of a bazillion, right? Several tens of thousands of people. Um, yeah. 20, yeah, they were reducing it by 22,000. So they were reducing it, by 22,000, that's right. Yeah, so that's, I mean, it's a big organization. Um, but I man, I I get it. The what's what's really newsworthy to me in this is that in a really difficult time, they have to lay people off. They have to set some policies on how they do it. I've been on the executive side when we're having to make cuts, and there's not a good way to do it. It doesn't feel like there's the right way to have those conversations, and you feel like you need to be quiet and silent about things until it's time to actually make a call. Um, and uh, I can see how these executives could have been like, 
listen, I'm doing everything I know how to do. Like there's, there's not, there's not a good way to do this thing. So um, I can totally see how they could do that. And, you know, still people are, are losing their minds. Like they ought to be losing their minds because. Well, and and the reason, and the reason they lost their minds was because they did stuff like they took the job and they moved the job to the other side of the country or in another city. So then they, people would lose their teams or they would have to do ex, they'd have to execute long commutes or they would raise the performance objective to be unobtainable. Yeah. But, so they were getting negative feedback about their performance, which was previously okay. And now it's, you know, you're not meeting plan. And all to try to get more people to quit so that they're not, uh, they're not having to pay big severance. Well, and, and I think it's just bizarre that you, you know, you know, you, I mean, look, you get a bunch of, you get a bunch of people together and they close the door and let's just assume not everybody's sitting over there, you know, scheming to, you know, to, to make an awful set of environments for the business. You know, I mean, that's what ended up happening, but it, it almost is like you look at the way that some industries or some, you know, you have industries that have union, you have industries that are in a, you know, under a jurisdiction where letting people go um, is difficult, right? Or cost the business a tremendous amount of money. Meanwhile, they have shareholders, right? And we're advancing our technology so much that replacing people is, you know, a real thing. You know, we're, you know, we're creating new technologies and new ways of doing work that make humans redundant naturally or require new skills. And so you look well, and, at this. And we're in the job, we're in the business of, of doing that to some degree, right? So right. you and I, like we, we, we talk about these technologies. We, uh, we're proponents of lots of the automation technologies. But if you need fewer... Uh, recruiters or HR people or whatever, because you've implemented this, this great technology that does a a chunk of the work. Um, Ultimately there's, there's one point where it gets to people get more efficient, but if you have a lot of efficiency, the business eventually looks at it and says, Hmm, these people are really efficient. They used to, I don't know if they have a full eight, eight hours worth of work every day. And they start deciding not to hire as many people. I don't think it ends up with mass layoffs like this. I think what happens is they just look down and say, oh, we won't backfill some of these positions. That, uh, and by the way, for the last 24 months, maybe a little longer, that has been my standard line. I have just told people, don't backfill people who leave. Make it work otherwise. Because yeah. if your turnover if your turnover in your recruiting organization is kicking around 12 to 20%, you know, if you're aggressive and you're smart about what you're doing, you, you could find that kind of efficiency annually using technology. You know, it will, no, don't get me wrong. It's not like turning on a light switch. No, no. But, well, but the- you can kind of say, Hey, I'm going to do things in a different way and, and maybe I won't have to, if I lost, 
if I lose 10 people a year to promotion and or attrition or transfer, right? Then the question is, is do I really need to backfill all 10? Or is that my opportunity to know that maybe I'll just backfill six, maybe I'll just backfill four, and the rest of it I'll make up with efficiency? We, we've, you know, this is the difference between management and leadership, right? Is, you know, managing a team and then using the policies and the processes associated with, with the business and keeping the values of the business in that team, that's its own thing, right? And then leadership is, is in charge mostly of strategic direction, but managing the variables. Yep. Right? Yeah. And, and you know, if, if you're a strategic leader, if you're not thinking about how employment is changing, what's the best thing to, to skill up your team so you can, you know, continue to do well in those environments, you know, you're just not doing your job as a leader. You know, I've heard I've heard the difference in management leadership described as um, a manager uh, makes sure that everyone climbing the ladder is climbing safely and efficiently. The leader decides what wall the ladder leans against. I thought, oh, that's pretty good. I that's like pretty that. good. We should end on that. We should end on that. You're right. <laughs> you should come up with it. You should like come up with an image for that for the. The leader, the ladder with the leader. I love it. The leader ladder? The leader ladder. There we go. There it is. There we go. Jason and I are going to be on starting on January 28th in San Francisco at the, uh, at the I think it's the Mission Bay Conference Center, will be uh, Talent Week, which is a co-located conference of Social Recruiting Strategies Conference, eBrandCon, and uh, the uh, Talent Sourcing uh, Summit. So we got about uh, close to 400 people uh, at, the, at the last count that I saw coming to San Francisco and mixing it up about talent acquisition, and both you and I will be there. Yes, at the lovely Mission Bay Conference Center in sunny California. Sunny, sunny California. Well, it's, it's, well, it's San Francisco. It, it, okay. It's, it's January in, in San Francisco. San Francisco. <laughs> you know, let's, let's, it's not exactly, it's no, it's not kicking it down the gaslight district in San Diego. Actually, San Francisco is never bad, right? It's, it's always pretty temperate. There's no the, snow in San Francisco, but there's plenty of other things. It doesn't get like wintry cold. Yeah. Uh, the coldest I've been in San Francisco was in the summer, oddly. That's why my, my parents, they snowbird there. That's why they do that. They like the temperate climate. There's just no there snow. There we go. Perfect. All right. So we'll see. So you and I will see each other at Talent Week. And uh, if you want more about Talent Week, go to uh, talentweek.com and you'll find the agenda there. And I'm excited about it. It's I my think it's sixth talent, time. It's talent Acquisition Week. It's talentacquisitionweek.com. Talent Acquisition Week. Thank you. Talent Acquisition Week. So You are welcome. All right. So, um, so this, so again, for recruiting.technology, this has been Andrew Godomsky. And this is Jason Roberts. We'll see you. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook or reach out to us directly through our website at www.recruiting.technology.